Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. Welcome, Natasha. Hi, Lisa. How you doing, girl? Thank I'm you for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. Um, you're coming off of a, a, a great conference, uh, the Call and Response Conference. Um, and I was uh, excited to be a part of that. It was a major success. So I, we praise God for that and the work that you, Esau, and Santis put in to uh, make a phenomenal conference for for us, by us. So yes, <laughs> yes <boo-boo. laughs> So for those who aren't uh, familiar with who you are, just give them a little bit of background. Yeah, um, personally, I... You know, I was introduced to myself. I'm a black girl from small town of Orangeburg, South Carolina. So I was raised in a, in the South in a rural town, our oldest of three children, um, raised in a Christian family, Christian home. And um, professionally, I ended up going to college at the Naval Academy. So um, I started out leading very early, even as a child. But um, that gift was affirmed and, and continued to be cultivated. And so I ended up going to the Naval Academy. Um, served six years as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, I was actually a financial management officer, but um, one of the things I also did in the last three years of service is that I worked in the Office of Admissions at the Naval Academy as a diversity outreach um, officer. And so that's when I really started professionally doing some, um, what we would call in the church now, even evangelical church, racial reconciliation, some of that type of work. Met my husband there. We've been married uh, 14 years this year. We have an 11-year-old daughter. Um, so in addition to the professional work, I had been teaching Bible study, leading a small group, and I ended up going to seminary because I wanted to do that well. And, um, as a result of that time in seminary and the work God was doing there, I was working at the Department of Homeland Security at the time. Um, I felt led to start writing. And so I am an author and this is my, the book that's releasing today is my second book. Um, My first book is called Mentor for Life, Finding Purpose Through Intentional Discipleship. So that's a book about discipleship, intentionally discipling people. And um, after that, I wrote uh, my first Bible study, which is called Hope for Us. And the subtitle is Knowing God Through the Nicene Creed. And so it gives a good foundation of the Trinity, what that means for the church, for us as a people of God. And then this book that just came out today is A Sojourner's Truth, Choosing Freedom and Courage in a Divided World. So I chart my story, um, my faith, leadership, life story alongside Moses and the Exodus narrative. And the unique thing about this is that it's also tracking the um, history of African-Americans in this country. So I write, I'm an international speaker, but I also do quite a bit of leadership, mentoring, diversity, coaching, and consulting. So that is the gist of all things. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite, quite busy. Um, we appreciate your work. Before we get into your new book, though, um, just tell us a little bit about the Call and Response Conference, what happened there, and um, why it was important for you all to put it on. 
Yeah, um, I think that, uh, so Dr. Esau McCauley, he's a New Testament scholar. He's working um, currently at Northeastern Seminary and uh, Reverend Santis Beatty, who is the director of multi-ethnic ministries for the Wesleyan denomination. So Esau is Anglican, um, Santis is, is Wesleyan, I'm actually in a non-denominational denominational church. And so um, there are a few things we wanted to address. I think number one, uh, there's a lot of church, particularly a lot of conversations, particularly within evangelicalism about the lack of diversity in Christian conferences. And um, and I, I've written about that. I mean, you could search an article I, I wrote for Christian Today many years ago um, about that. So that's not anything new. Um, but I think for me, uh, particularly as someone who has been ministering in within the evangelical space, is that that's not just a Christian conference thing, right? It's a publishing thing. It's a seminary thing. It's a, a church thing, even in a multi-ethnic church, right? Like by and large, the systems, even within Christendom that are set up are white male dominant, right? And so um, I think we do need to write about that. I think we do need to raise our voice about that. But I think we also, as we write and raise our voice about these things that need to change within the system, we need to also be building for ourselves. I think that's what I see. And I try to encourage and champion people like you that are taking risks to start new things. Um, I think we need to do more of that and not just wait for people to catch a about our value and what we bring to not just the black community, but to the to the church, right? To the universal church. And so um, that was, I think, the crux of it. Uh, Esau and I had met uh, maybe a year or two ago at another conference. Um, you were there, actually. So we were, we were at another conference. And so we were having meals and conversations. And of course, you know, we are normally one of very few people of color in a space. And you know, I think the, the reality is, is that we're going to these conferences and these conferences are uh, by, and large, by and large not um, addressing issues that are a concern of our community and or even conversations. I mean, stuff that we are up against every day. And there's a lot within the last year and more that we've been addressing. It's like these are important things that the church should be addressing. And you go to these conferences, they're not even talking about it. Right. It's not not even on their radar. And so what we do is that we end up having these conferences within the conference. So the conference is going on and we go to some of the sessions and some of them we don't, right? Because we're skipping out to nurse each other and to heal and to laugh together, you know, at the lunch table or whatever. And so I felt like, and Esau, you know, Esau basically said, let's, let's, let's just start our own conference. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and little did we know, I mean, you does these things. I mean, it's a, it's a huge undertaking, right? Um, but I think that was the cross of it, number one, that there was a need for it. Um, number two, there are some gaps um, right now that I think we need to address more intentionally. And if we don't address them intentionally, they won't happen. And so some of those gaps are, um, or issues are um, the, the lack of conversations between generations. That used to be something that was norm um, in our community, and I don't think it is anymore. And so we wanted to be intentional with this conference and bringing uh, people across generations. And, I, and we did that. And I want to see us do that better, you know, as we move forward. But we did that. Um, older, the wiser elders, giving uh, honor to them and giving them opportunity to speak to us as younger people, but then also challenging, raising up, mentoring um, the, the younger generations. And so encouraging those conversations. So we did that. That was something intentional that we wanted to do. We wanted to um, ensure that men and women were not just platform um, on the main stage, but also in every area of our leadership. And we did that, you know, from everything from the hosting to the music, to the keynotes, to the workshops, um, to the leadership team. 
So we did that. Um, we wanted to be very intentional um, because when you're dealing with this idea of race, right, um, which is not a thing, but you understand what I'm saying. Like the, the issues that we um, address or uh, challenges that we face because of our skin color by and large and because of unjust systems, we are all um, challenged by uh, up against the same things, unless you're in a very privileged financial situation. But most of us are dealing with the same stuff. But what we found is that um, in addition to people thinking like we as Black people are a monolithic group, that we have siloed ourselves to different groups. And so there are tribes within Christendom, right? Like, so all the reform people go to the same conferences, right? All of the people that are evangelical, they go to the same conferences, they read the same things. All the people that are the more, you know, the justice seekers or, um, you know, they all, they're all going to the same things. They know each other, they have a tribe. And by and large, those people aren't talking to each other. And so what we wanted to do with this conference uh, was really to try to bring people out of their tribes and to bring them to a space like, hey, look, we all deal with the same stuff, right? So either let's come together in a positive way to um, not debate and not to fight, but just to have a place of celebration, to have a place of healing, to have a place where you are valued and affirmed. And we don't have to all agree for that to happen, right? But we can honor um, our, our, the fact that we are created in God's image, the fact that we all love Jesus, we love the book, um, and, and let's come together. So we did some intentional work to bring people across denominational lines and stuff like that. And again, I think we did a good job, but I would like to see us do, you know, even better in that. And so those were some things that we were wanting to intentionally address with this, um, with this first time us doing the conference, but also with the theme of the past, present, and future of Black Christians in America that really honor our past and our elders to really um, address some of the challenges or conversations we need to be having right now as a people. Um, and then to, to say, let's not, you know, there's a lot to be angry about and there's a proper place for that anger, but let not, let's not allow the root of bitterness to, to be there and let, let's not allow the challenges that we face to hinder us from being hopeful or joyful or standing on the shoulders of the giants that have come before us because we can move forward um, and, and, and be hopeful in, in that. And so that's really, you know, in the just was the, was the heart of, of the conference this past weekend. Yes. And it was, it was great. It's a phenomenal time. And I love that uh, the spirit was there in a very tangible way, uh, which is something that's not often at many conferences. So I really appreciated that. Um, so let's move on to, to what's coming out today. Um, as Sojourner's Truth, I love that title. Uh, it's a nice play on words. Um, so for those uh, of us who uh, haven't read the book yet, just give us kind of an overview without giving too much uh, <laughs> of the book away. Because you still want folks to buy it and read it. <laughs> you do need to buy it and read it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for that. Um, the book uh, is it, it's a story, right? And so I think one thing we want to constantly remind people that the Bible, even the Bible itself is God's redemptive story, right? That God is writing his redemptive story um, from the beginning until the end. And what we have the privilege of doing as his His people, as his human creations, unlike any other um, creation on earth, is that we have a chance to not only reflect his image, but also to, part, to be, in, you know, partake in the redemptive story. And so um, 
when I think about even my own story, I'm looking at it through that lens, that this is a small part of the big picture, the big story that God is telling, you know, to um, the world and indeed all creation, right? And so um, I am basically sharing my, my, my journey as, you know, an African-American girl <laughs> um, growing into um, womanhood and indeed leadership. And I'm doing that alongside Moses in the Exodus narrative. And I'm doing that for a few reasons. Number one, that Moses was born into a marginalized people group that had been enslaved for more than 400 years, right? And so for those of us who were raised by grandmothers and aunties and deacons of the church, and particularly in the Black church, we know that this Exodus narrative has served as a source of inspiration for our people, Black people meaning, for a very, very long time. And so even in the times of slavery, once they became aware of this story, it's like, you know, they could trust God. You have people being born into and dying in slavery in that system, but dying hopeful and trusting God because if, if God delivered the Israelites, then most certainly he is able and can deliver us out of slavery. And this is how, you know, Harriet Tubman got the nickname Moses, right? Because the expectation was that God is a deliverer. He hears the cries of the oppressed and he will and he will um, answer, he will deliver in, in due time. And so I think that's why um, for me, it was important to um, interweave not just my story, but also that biblical narrative. Because sometimes whenever I write, Lisa, I wanna make sure that my writing is fruitful and it's productive and it's helpful to the church. So I don't just write just to write, right? And so my story, I'm anchoring it in the word because I want people to get in the word. <laughs> And I'm anchoring it in the word because it gives me a good jumping spot and we should tell a history that is the history of the American people that a lot of people, even some African-Americans might not know, but certainly those that are not in the African-American community, they might not know. And so when we look at some of the things we are facing today, it's so easy if you don't know the history to um, ignore or to have oversight about how we even got here and why some people feel that we're in, um, you know, I would say we're in the worst time I've seen in my generation, right? In my generation, this is the worst I've seen our, our country. And so, um, but I know it's not foreign because I was raised by a civil rights um, movement generation and, and people who were steeped and understood the history and they taught and passed that history down to me. And so, the book basically follows, um, it's broken up into four parts, formation, those things that God uses to shape our story. Even, you know, as children, we don't really understand what God is doing, that God doesn't waste anything, right? That he is very intentional in um, what he ordains or allows to happen in our lives. And so um, that's what I talk about in the formation section. Then I go into the system of, section of history. And so I talk about the importance of, you know, not just my history, but again, the history of what Moses knew or didn't know or what he came to understand and also what that has meant for Black people in this country. And then I, I go into the wilderness section, which is, you know, the toughest part for all of us. But I think what's important for us to realize is that every leader that God uses, the people that we consider great in the Bible, that almost all of them have some kind of wilderness 
you know, experience, right? Like Jesus did, obviously Moses did, David did. From the time that David was anointed at king as king until the time that he actually became king, right? Like, so all of them have um, some kind of wilderness experience. And so I think we should be honest with people. Like if you expect to do um, great things in the kingdom, then, and you expect to lead in the kingdom that there's most likely going to be um, a wilderness experience or two or three in your life, depending on the call, right? And so the idea is that the wilderness is not the place you go to die. The wilderness is a place you go through. And mm-hmm. so how that we go through um, the wilderness to get to the other side, which is the last part of the book, which is redemption. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. And I, I love that the title goes along so well. Who came up with that? Was that you? It was me. Um, you will find, because you will write a book in Jesus' name, or two or three, but you, <laughs> you will find that, um, you know, publishers and, and marketing people, they have their things, they have their ideas and their professionals, and they're great, right? But at the end of the day, what I found in writing my own project is like, you know, it's my book, right? Like, my name is on this. And so whatever we put out, um, visually or otherwise, it, it needs to make sense, right? For It needs to represent my um, message, the ministry, um, the calling well. And so they had a title just wasn't good. <laughs> so I was like, let me sleep on this and come back with you. Um, and I have a dear friend, Amina Brown, you know her, but she's like a wordsmith genius. And so we just kind of wordsmithed a little bit, wordsmith, and we kind of got almost there. And then I call her back. I'm like, girl, I have it, right? I have it. And it was an intentional um, play on words as, you know, obviously Sojourner Truth being such a historical figure, you know, um, but um, someone, she was born in, you know, as a slave, um, but, you know, she became free, but also got her um, family free, um, went to court to get her own son free. Um, and, and she actually became very good about learning the legal system and having that system work for her, even though she was, she never learned to read and write. So she was illiterate, but she was a woman who loved the word, um, a faithful Christian, a someone who um, had a lot of credibility among African-American people, but also among affluent white people, which allowed her to um, grow not just as a leader but also as a as a national and world influencer you know she's someone who met with several presidents and the like um but i think there are also some other things about her life that i still find to be interesting and i didn't write about her a ton in the book either but i um i you know i started reading more uh as after i I wrote but i you know it's interesting the things that we know probably most about her like some of the things i just kind of rattled off i don't think most people know like what we most know her for is like the ain't i woman right and and the thing is like that she never actually said that and so (laughs) i mean i mean you know i mean it's the irony of it right that the thing that we most know this fabulous person for this black woman who was very keen on using her own voice, right? And and walking in freedom, even in spite of the limitations of her day, that what we most know her for is something that was pinned and attributed to her by a white person. You know, and I think that that says a lot. There's a lot of irony there. And so um, for me, that just gave me another motivation. Um, When I wrote the preface of the book, one of the things I wrote is, it's so... 
I think especially in this day, but but it's always been, but especially to now because we haven't always had the freedom to do it, but now we do. And I think it's so critically important for people of color and women also to be writing and telling their own stories, right? I think that's critically important. We haven't always had that freedom, but now we do. And so I think it's very important that we're not allowing other people to speak on our behalf to tell us about ourselves and to tell other people about us, right? Like, just ask me, I'll tell you, I know myself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very, very, very important. And I, I love what you said about Sojourner's Truth Life because um, it just goes against this narrative that slaves were dumb and they didn't respond or fight for their rights. Um, when they were Christians, they just accepted the Christianity of the slaveholders and didn't interrogate it or didn't push against it. And so it just it just pushes against that narrative that's out there that's perpetuated not just by white folks, but by black folks. Um, that is not helpful. Um, and it paints a picture that's not really, really true. Yeah, I think there's some things... There's some things that are naturally ingrained in us as humans, right? I think survival is one of them, right? And so any human, I think, that you put them in a system that will surely lead to death, I mean, and they know it. Sometimes we don't know it, right? Like some people don't know that the wages of sin is death, and so they keep sinning. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But most of the time, like once you know, right, um, that there's this human instinct, I think, to survive and to, and to fight for, for one's freedom, and so um, I think once that awareness, I mean, we see it in root in the roots story, right? We see it in the um, book of Negro story. We see it in you know, um, uh, you know, the black soldiers who sign up to fight in the in the Union. I mean, I mean, you know, what I'm saying we see it, the history when we know it and when we um, tell the truth about it um, speaks for itself. That people, I mean, people rise up. I mean, right? That's why. I mean, even. They, they will find freedom one way or the other, even if that's jumping over the slave ship. Mm -hmm. right? Before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go on to my Lord and be free. Right. Like, I'm not going to let you keep me in bondage and treat me like an animal. And so the history has shown that that's not um, new. But I think the problem is that so many people don't know the history. Yes, that's sure. Um I, I want us to talk, shift gears a little bit and talk about your organization that you have. Um, uh -huh. Tell our audience a little bit about uh, your nonprofit and what, what you're doing in the community. Yes. So um, I have a nonprofit called Leadership Links Incorporated, and it is a leadership organization. That's what it is. But it is an organization that's founded by Christians. It's an organization founded by African-Americans, a 501c3 nonprofit founded by African-Americans. All these Jesus-loving people happen to also be um uh, either current or at, uh, or retired or former um, military people. So I met all these people somehow through my connections at the Naval Academy. All of us are Naval Academy graduates. And so men and women, um, again, leading in this organization from the very beginning, all African-American, multi-generational. Again, all these things um, is very, I, I want to be intentional in how I build, Lisa, right? And so um, there's a chapter in the book, um, maybe two, where I mentioned a little bit about our work. But what we're doing is that so the mission of the organization is to offer leadership education that facilitates impactful living character and spiritual development and so what we are want to do is to raise up the next generation of leaders 
And so we decided we're going to mentor, we're going to sponsor um, young people. So right now, our primary audience is middle and high school girls. Most of those girls are African-American. We are raising them to um, become leaders. And so we talk about, you know, um, just, you know, basically good life skill stuff, good character development stuff, but also teaching them very practical professional leadership skills. And we also disciple them, right? So we, the, the Hope for Us Bible study on the Nicene Creed, I'm going through them with that this year, right? And then sometime between now and the end of the spring, I'll write something for them to go through um, in the Bible next year. So we're doing all those things, very intentional in doing it and modeling for them, teaching for them, creating opportunities for them, um, getting them on college campuses, exposing them to very um, people that are leading. And, and one thing I would say too, is that most of our leadership organizations, you know, even a seminary, for example, they are designed to prepare pastors to preach, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of conferences and, and schools that are designed for that purpose. Not necessarily to lead, which that's a whole nother thing for another day. But we, we, we have, I think we have tools for that. What we don't have and what my organization is trying to address is to offer leadership and a solid Christian um, environment and foundation for people that are leading in the marketplace. So all of us, um, and, and me, obviously I'm doing more full-time ministry now, but, you know, the first decade plus of my life, I've been in professional, secular, you know, work environments. And, and I don't, obviously, I don't agree with the whole sacred and secular understanding of that. Like work was given to us in the garden before the fall. Like Adam was actually created to work the garden. So work was always supposed to be a part of what we were supposed to do. It's a part of the cultural mandate. And so it's not just like sacred work or secular work. Like all work is good. And in, in our work that we actually glorify God. And so um, we need a way of taking Christians, people who love Jesus and are not afraid about that, and equipping them to honor the Lord and see the goodness of God in their work and also to do that um, as they engage in relationships with people in the workplace. And that's what we're preparing these young people for. And so we have a summer program that we do. We don't call it summer camp because we're not in a summer camp business, a summer program. And that's one of many programs, but we also have a mentoring program that's all year. And then we offer them what we call a let a leadership exploration tour. So like once a year, we try to get them a very life-changing experience. This year, we took them to um, Atlanta to honor the 50-year um, anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King um, death. And so we did some wonderful things with the King Center there. And so we're planning something like that for the spring already. Um, again, we do college trips, college education prep. But for us, the big picture is, and this is a matter for me of discipleship, right? That you cannot disciple people, you know, in two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Like, so we're committed to a long-term um, investment in the lives of these young people. And for me, it's even more than that, because what we're saying is that we're going to, again, build a new structure. And so for us, it's like, okay, I'm discipling, I'm mentoring you through middle school and through high school, and we're preparing you for college, and preferably you go to college if, you know, that's your desire. And as you're in college, this is the place you come back to serve, this is the home you come back to, right? You come and invest back here. So you could do the same thing for young people, what we've done for you. And preferably when you graduate from college, now you have work experience because of our network, which is one of our core values. But you also have served and you poured back into the organization. And preferably because of our network that we have people that will hire you, put you in intern positions so that you can um, 
you can go in and pursue those those dreams and goals that you have. And so for us, we're looking structurally about how we can create a, a system, you know, an environment, a network. That's one of our core values. So links that L-I-N-K-S is love, inspiration, network, knowledge, and service are our core values that we live out and model and teach for them. And so we want to create an environment where they can thrive, you know, per, again, that's the impact for living piece of our mission. They can thrive in their personal lives, in their relationships, in their faith, and in their work. That's awesome. And I love that your discipleship approach is holistic because many of it is sectional for, for many people. And so you have people that you've helped uh, theologically, but they are not prepared to lead or not prepared to work. Um, and so it is a holistic thing, which I think is amazing. How can people um, give to, to your organization? Praise God for the giving to the organization. <laughs> um they can give in a few ways. One, I would say go to our website, www.leadershiplinksinc.org. So that's leadership, spell that, and links, L-I-N-K-S, Inc., I-N-C, no spaces, no underscores, just all straight out, .org. And then there's a little link on there that says Givelify. So what we want to really encourage people to do, because we are a young 501c3, we're not even three years old. Um, we have done a lot in a very short amount of time. We continue to do more. And so we really need the financial support to become a monthly don donor that will really help us. You know, five, ten dollars. I mean, this is how, you know, um, President Obama snuck people. Right. I'm not giving a political statement. I'm giving some facts. Right. That people giving five dollars. Right. If you do that consistently, that can help us budget. That can help us plan. That can help us get good structures in place. And so we're really looking for monthly givers there. You can make a one-time donation there, or you can do monthly giving. But we're really, it would really help us if we can. Um, I do believe um, I actually have our marketing team working on some website stuff now. That our post office um, address is up there. If not, you can use the contact tab and um, email us, and then we can give you the information on how you can mail us a check as well. Amen. And I encourage you to give. It is. A blessing to give. So, <laughs> amen. amen. The opportunity um, here. Um, but let's go back to the book. Uh, <laughs> what other things would you want our audience before we close to know about your book? Um, and how can they get your book? Yes. So today, October 9th, the book is available everywhere books are sold. So anywhere you will buy your book online, christianbooks.com, your Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, uh, Lifeway, like all those places um, should have the book available, but they're definitely available online. I do want to encourage though, Lisa, I try to do this, um, to encourage people to support their local bookstores. So a few things. One is um, the book may not be in a local bookstore, but if you order it to your local bookstore, um, they still get revenue <laughs> from that. And um that will also give you a chance to encourage them to put it on the shelf um, because a lot of our books aren't making it to the shelves in bookstores. And so we need to be asking people to put it on the shelf and to get enough, enough ask like that, then that starts to turn the tide. But I think also, I don't want to live in a world where we don't have bookstores. And if we are only purchasing, and I purchase books online, don't get me wrong, but I do also go locally and purchase. And sometimes it does cost me more but I do that because I want to still have bookstores that people can can go to locally. So I want to encourage people to support their local bookstores. Um, the other thing I want to say about this, Lisa, because of your audience, 
is that we don't need to buy, and I would say this for anybody, but not just my book. You don't need to buy one in two books. We need to be having conversations with our friends to say, hey, girl, let's buy 10 or 12 of these books and have a book study or a book club on this. We need to have a conversation with our discipleship pastors and let's make this book, um, put this book on our small group book discussion list. We need to do this with our college roommates, right? And, and this is the reason that for in this market, right, people need to understand that for me, writing books is ministry, right? They don't pay you well, right? So just understand this. I'm not trying to get your money. I'm just telling you that it's also a business. And the fact of the matter is if Black people do not sell books, then that feeds into a narrative that we cannot sell books, which means people like you and me, Lisa, we can't keep getting book contracts or the book contracts we get will require us to do the same amount of work, but we will get paid significantly less. We have to support African-American authors because if we don't, then we don't continue to get book contracts and or we don't get paid fairly. Right. And we, we know how that conversation goes. And so I would say not just for this book, but for other books, if you know people and you feel like they're a solid theologian and you feel like what they're offering is a unique and good, important contribution to the field, we need to be encouraging folks, our pastors and our discipleship people and our small group people and our Bible study people and our book club people or start one. You don't have to keep a book club. Just do it for this book, right? <laughs> to say, hey, we need to buy 10 and 12 of these, 50, 100 of these. You know, we need to buy these and get these out to the women for the women's conference that's coming up, right? That's the kind of things we need to be thinking about to support our own books. Otherwise, I'm telling you, I have conversations with these publishers, and you know I do. The narrative is two things. One, they don't give contracts to Black people, some Black people, because um, they're not theologically sound. Or two, because they don't sell books. And the only way we can uh, correct that thought process is, one, by writing books that are theologically sound, which I do. And two, selling books, which means that we have to buy the books. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that's the that's a great way to correct a, a systemic problem. So <laughs> thank you for sharing. How can people get in contact with you on social media? Yes, I'm everywhere. I'm not everywhere. I, I, I really hate <laughs> social media. I'm on there for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Um, so you can find me on my official website, NatashaSRobinson.com. Natasha S N A T A S H A S R O B I N S O N dot com. That's my official website. I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter at a sister's journey. That's sisters without the H. So A S I S T A S journey, J O U R N E Y dot com. That's the name of my blog. So you can find me there um, uh, at a sister's journey. I do book reviews and um, some coffee talk. That's where my podcast is listed as well now. So um, I have a blog and then you can find me on Instagram or Twitter using that ha- handle. And then I'm on Facebook. My public Facebook page is Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. So you can just type all that out, facebook.com slash Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. You can like the page, but also there's a little tab next to that about following. You need to click to say see first because Facebook be doing their new algorithm things and you will not see stuff. So right (laughs) 
I'm just telling you right now I'm on um, Facebook on my public page. I'm going, I'm doing a journey through the Exodus. So we this month and reading through the Exodus together every morning um, at nine o'clock a.m. Eastern time. So I'll continue to do that through the month of October. And you can go back and look at all the other videos as well. So I do that on video every morning. Um, and then I just recently, a few weeks ago, released my podcast, A Sojourner's Truth. So this month I'm using, I mean, not this month, um, it's actually this season. So this episode is going to be 10... This ep- this season is going to be ten episodes, and um, all the interview guests this episode, um, this season are um, African Amer- not African American, but African or African American women, um, because I thought that was important for the conversations I wanted to have about um, the book, but also the story, and again shaping the narrative. And so I am on Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes. A Sojourner's Truth. So you can subscribe there. And I'm also trying to get the videos, I mean, not the videos, the audio up on, on YouTube. So you can follow the Sojourner's Truth podcast. You can find that on my website and also on any of those places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natasha. Make sure you get Natasha's book, Give, um, to her organization. <laughs> and also follow her on social media and subscribe to her podcast. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate the work you're doing and your time to being on um, the podcast today on your launch day. I really appreciate it. Amen. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. I thank you for your time. I appreciate your work and contribution as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.